What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. 10 Talks Podcast is powered by DenAnywhere.com. You guys go to DenAnywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to DenAnywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived. So if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Hello, we are back. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, the founder of Den Meditation and your host. I've got two amazing women today, powerhouses in their own right. Um, and I love this conversation because we get super deep, but in a really sweet, nourishing, and loving way. Um, I feel like this is a great episode that's just going to make your mind think in such a great way and make your heart feel bigger. And you're going to feel really way more connected to yourself. Or if you're not yet connected to yourself with a voracious appetite to get to know yourself. So I have Rebecca Walker and Lily Diamond on. They together, they've joined forces and they've created this beautiful book, What's Your Story? A Journal for Everyday Evolution. And it's an incredible guide that really does awaken you. Um, And we talk a lot about it in there. But instead of really just talking about the book, it kind of like the journal does, it brings us to a deeper exploration of what it means to be you and how you discover it. Now, Rebecca, you may know already, Rebecca Walker, because she's a best-selling author of many, many, many books. She's also a cultural critic, excuse me. And Time Magazine has actually named her one of the most influential leaders of her generation. I mean, come on. And Lily, who's totally kind of redefined her life, who used to be a yoga teacher, meditation teacher, is, you know, fighting for democratizing wellness through storytelling and practices. She also has her own books out, an amazing cookbook, um, and she speaks often and everyone lives in Hawaii now. Um, Together, by the way, their friendship is so lovely. So actually this conversation alone, kind of witnessing this beautiful supportive give and take of two people alone is a beautiful lesson that we can all take. How you can support one another and there's not a need to have to pull for spotlight or pull for attention because actually in just being and being comfortable with who you are, it's amazing where that sun shines. So I am really in love with this episode. I hope you guys love it as much as I do. Let me know. Um, But like I said, it was a way that we, the three of us really got to have some deep, powerful conversations about what it means. Like really, what is that key to truth to you, to operating, you know, authentically and not even that, being happy. So enjoy the episode and go to our Facebook podcast page and let us know what you think. You guys are so cute. (laughs) We're pretty cute. (laughs) Gotta love us. Really cute. I love it. Mm -hmm. We love each other. That's actually a perfect place to start. I mean, I know that you met kind of under like almost it's funny that you ended up writing this book together because you met 
while you were doing a master class, right? About writing and and kind of digging deeper. So it's interesting that ultimately you did this together. But how did the connection happen? Because it wasn't your first master class. Like you've taught many students. So mm-hmm. what was it about you two that you think really shifted and changed and then like altered kind of your future together? Lily, you want to roll with it? Start. Yeah, start. I'm happy to just provide a bit of, of context. So um, I walked into that masterclass in 2009 um, and it was at a juncture for me where I was coming out of many years of um, teaching yoga, meditation, um, Hindu and Buddhist spirituality and studying very intensely um, for that time. And I was really uh, in a space of grief, deep grief. I had lost my mother a year before. Um, I was experiencing a tremendous amount of heartbreak in other areas of my life as well. And um, the reckoning of all of that um, left in its wake for me a huge number of questions about my beliefs, what I really believed, what was actually true in the, you know, the the real fire of life. Like it's very easy to take on a lot of um, truisms when things are not um, super challenging. But when, you know, things are really put to the test, like what, what did I believe in the, in the face of death and grief and all of that? Watching my mom grapple with those questions as well, I realized that I wanted to change a lot of the ways that I was living my life, um, that a lot of the truths that I had been espousing were not really my truths. They were truths I had taken on from others. And I wanted to return to the one thing that I really knew had always hold, held true for me, which was writing and a practice of writing. Um, and so I happened to um, find this incredible course um, and decided to to take the, the class. I actually emailed Rebecca. <laughs> I will never forget this. I emailed Rebecca um, because... I got the the notice about the class um, by email through the Yale Alumni Network, and uh, it was the the alumni group on Maui. And it's not a super, you know, it's not a super like. How shall I put this? It's not a super um, long list. Large group. <laughs> not a super long list. It's not a super, you know, whatever. Organized. Anyway, they right. didn't. It didn't BCC anyone. So everyone's emails were like right out there. And so Rebecca's email was on this list. And I decided that I was just going to write to her. And I, I wrote to her and I said, hi, you know, I was super enthusiastic. I was, I think, 25 years old. And I was like, I, you know, I'm so excited to, to see, to see that you're teaching this class. Um, And it had said, you know, something about best-selling author Rebecca Walker and her work is on identity, race, and sexuality. And I was like, I, that, those are all the things that I'm interested in. And so <laughs> I wrote to her and I was like, I would love to know, you know, I, I would love to know more about this course and more about your work. And um, I hit send and then I Googled her 
which is always a very funny order in yes. which to do things. <laughs> and so I Googled her and I was like, holy, can we swear on this? Yes, absolutely. Thousand I was like, holy shit, what did I just do? Like, I just <laughs> wrote this person who I would have accorded, I, I don't know, just like a, a slightly different mode of communication perhaps than... <laughs> than how sort of upfront and enthusiastic I was. Um, and and I was just so, you know, taken aback by the scope of her work and her lineage and just, you know, all that Rebecca is and and had done and continues to do. Anyway, she wrote back to me within like five minutes. I have no idea why. <laughs> We're going to find out when we get and to what that did side. I say? Did I say yeah. like, you should Google me? <laughs> You said you had the perfect response, um, which you said, I would love to have you in the class. That would be great. And the best way to find out more about my work is to read one of my books. And I was just like, that could not be a truer (laughs) response. (laughs) Like, there's nothing better to say than that. And so... (laughs) I went to the library that day. This was obviously way back when we could we could still go to libraries. (laughs) (laughs) And I checked out Rebecca's first memoir, Black, White, and Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I went to a coffee shop and I read the whole book. Mm -hmm. And I was so deeply taken by her exploration of identity. And it really touched so many places in me that felt um, seen by her words, but unseen by, you know, the world, you know, many other people or my family or, um, and, and I, anyway, I, I, I took the, the Art of Memoir Masterclass and I started working on my first book in that course. And um, I felt in the space of that class that, getting to learn from Rebecca was an experience really unlike any other for me because it was an invitation to really, you know, as we do in the book, ask the kinds of questions that allowed me to get to my own truth rather than presenting people with truth that they were supposed to take on. It allowed me to actually really deeply ask of myself, like what, you know, what is the truth that I have lived that I'm living with now? Um, what is the story that I need to share um, of my life? And um, and yeah, I'll I'll stop there. I could keep going, but I want to let you Rebecca could. Go. And that was so nice. It that was, was. So, it was lovely. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. Well, first of all, I didn't remember that email at all because you know my memory. And I love that you have such a great memory. And that's one of the reasons that we we complement each other, I think, so well. Um, <laughs> your attention to detail and my sort of big picture, you know, whatever it is that I have. Um, hopefully it's not early onset dementia. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, so so nice to, to hear that story. And I didn't realize you went to the library. And I'm thrilled to hear that BWJ was at the Maui Library. Um, was it the one in Makawao? Anyway, yeah. doesn't matter. Okay, yeah. Well, that's a miracle. Yeah, Every time I, love I went that you to guys are library. discovering things about each other on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was awesome. almost going to say 
Paul, I haven't, I, I actually haven't told this. We've been talking about our, the, our origin story over and over and over again. And this is the first time I've actually shared the real, 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 real. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to have to really think here for a second if I have a real, real, real one that's different from the remembered well, created what's, one. What stood out for you about her compared to all your other students? Well, you know, one of the things that's that's striking about Lily just when you see her is is her incredible red hair. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think I probably um, was was just just visually, you know, uh, there was a, there's something very striking about about the red hair and the Leo, the sort of leonine mm-hmm. aspect of Lily. Um, but I'm a Virgo. I know you're a Virgo, honey, but your <laughs> hair is very. Leo-esque. <laughs> Are you sure you're a Virgo? Well, that really, well, you know, I don't believe much in astrology, but, but, you know, Virgos are so organized and disciplined in the way that you are. And that's really interesting. So anyway, let me try to figure this out. So you're a Virgo. So it was the red hair, but then obviously it was much more than red hair. Um, Lily um, had from the very beginning, a kind of an extraordinary blend of curiosity, openness, um, um, grief, pain, confusion about how she was going to make sense of all the different stories and ideologies and practices that she had been um, raised to believe and had continued to cultivate um, up till that point. And she also had a very clearly developed writing style and a, a very strong voice. So she had this very dynamic um, uh, mixture of elements that that made her really stand out. And and she also completely knew how to um, um, sort of respectfully and appropriately occupy the space of student. And, and so she, she had, uh, you know, it's really the ability to learn, to know how to learn, to know how to recognize when you're in the presence of someone who can actually teach you something. And we all need to develop that ability, you know, um, that, that understanding that when a teacher appears, you have to figure out um, how to, how to access them. And many people don't know how to do that. And so they miss the moment, you know, mm. and, and she was really on track with that. And, and I think all of those things, you know, in, in addition to everything that I was bringing with my strong um, desire to, to help people who, who came and who wanted to do the work, you know, created where where we are today really was the beginning of, of our long journey now 12 years old or 11 years old or Lily what is it 10 years old 11 well, and how did it shift and then I want to get more into like the themes of the book but I'm curious to know how it shifted then from student teacher to yeah. partnerships as far as just dynamic yes I think that's a great question and I think it's another question that teachers and students consider over and over again, I think, in the course of their relationship and, and should. Um, 
I think there's a point as a teacher when you feel that you've given a student everything you have to give to that particular student and they have they have taken it and they have integrated it and they have absorbed it and um and there's a kind of sense of okay we're done with that part and and they kind of emerge at that point as an equal they they emerge as as someone that you've been through this journey with and now you're you're kind of eye to eye you know and um and i think that's what happened to us and we kept in conversation and the conversations evolved and we kept in a kind of um creative stream you know together remembering our origin story and and both wanting to continue the work that was at the core of the origin story um and also you know sharing lives and laughing and binging gossip girl together and uh, you know i mean <laughs> you know and everything i mean so many other things and um you know it it really evolved in a in a quite organic way and i think that's that speaks to not only each of us and who we are but um i think how we both have a deep understanding and respect for the different roles and and when it's time for them to shift you know i think that often teachers mentors um want to hold on to that position and and constantly sort of reify it and keep the student a student forever. And I actually don't think that's helpful, <laughs> you know, and I think that's where often, particularly I think in female mentor-mentee relationships, mm. um, that becomes a real sticking point. And, and the mentee or the student is never really embraced and elevated um, in a way that's fully um, uh in recognition of the work they've done or where they actually are at the, at the end of the work together. Why do you feel like that's more um, within women? You know, that's a great question. And, and I'm not sure I can unequivocally, or no, I'm not so sure I can equivocally, definitively say that um, because I haven't been in a male <laughs> mentor-mentee <laughs> relationship. Um, but I do think I've witnessed enough intergenerational um, female relationships, um, you know, coming out of feminist community, you know, growing up around so many powerful women who then took on younger um, uh, sort of protégés that I've seen a sort of, I think there's some, some sort of competition there that that feels particularly female. I'm not quite sure what it is. Um, there's a sense of being a uh, fear of being eclipsed. So it mm -hmm. could be, you know, a, a kind of insecurity that has that's a result of so much oppression of of women. You know that that we're just coming into our power and we're not quite ready to share it, or we don't quite know how to share it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's worthy of. It's of interesting. More, yeah, and I'm sure someone's written like a dissertation or a book even about it, or many. 
No, because I think about that a lot too, like even with everything that's going on in the world and with women who really powered their way through and actually made inroads at a time that it was very difficult. My mom being one of them, she was a doctor when like that, they were all male doctors. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you have to be really tough, it's like kind of the Hillary Clintons of the world. Like you got to be tough and manly. And, and there's almost this... I call it like the angry immigrant syndrome, like the immigrants who are really pissed because they did it and they made it work and they somehow succeeded. So everybody else should have to do it. And why are we bending the rules for them? That type of thing. I go, it's the same thing. It's these women who are like, I did it. Like, why can't everybody else do it? You know, you just have to do it this way. I mean, just work hard, be tough, do it. That it's like, so we don't have to make any concessions to make it more equal. It's like, you can actually just do it. It's, do you know what I mean? It's an interesting dynamic of, because I somehow did it despite, everybody else should still do it despite. We don't have to switch Mm. the system to make it inclusive. Mm. And I I think what both of you are naming is really that the, this kind of competition between women is a function of patriarchy, of heteropatriarchy, of these sites of oppression that women come into and then are, you know, forced to definitely to their detriment, uh, make the framework by which they live. And because, you know, we haven't yet, if we haven't yet chosen a different way of being and of experiencing the world, then we are going to continue to see each other as competition Mm -hmm. for, you know, ultimately, I mean, in, in, you know, in, in its at its very basest form, as you both of well, as you were just saying, Paul, like for either the approval um, of men or the roles that men would otherwise occupy. Mm-hmm. When really, what we want is neither of those things. What we want is you know our own power as being uniquely human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of going to the book a little bit and also my my history, my my very first book, which was To Be Real, Telling the Truth and Changing the Face of Feminism, which was about younger women rewriting the story of feminism for themselves and, and really feeling like the second wave um, had created a narrative of feminism that wasn't comfortable for them. And they were really trying to work out what a new wave would look like for them um, individually and collectively. And at that point, you know, I had started Third Wave Foundation and I was speaking all over the country about Third Wave. And I think, you know, um, this specifically speaks to what's your story, because I realized at that point that it was very important to change the story of feminism because I was in college and I felt like we were losing so many women and men you know, from the fight, really, because they were so turned off by the story of feminism that they had grown up with. And and I think doing that book and starting to speak about a third wave of feminism was one of my earliest rewriting um, experiences, a rewriting of a story in the same way that we're asking people to rewrite their stories in What's Your Story? Mm-hmm. You know, to really look at the ideology and the beliefs and the stories they've been told about so many things um, their bodies, their identities, their, you know, the earth and, and rewrite them in a way that's more in alignment with who they are in this very moment. Um, and one of the things that I would speak about at that time was how important it was to change the story of power and how we really were moving away from 
and, and wanted to and needed to move away from, you know, and now this is so commonplace. But anyway, at that time, it really didn't feel that way. But but move away from the idea of power over to power with, you know, so that it was like really trying to um, subvert, you know, hegemonic constructions, um, hierarchical constructions, the idea of domination of, of one group over another by completely switching the paradigm and understanding that real power is when you're working collectively and using your power to empower others. And just in the interest in saying that, the person who came to mind immediately just then was Stacey Abrams, actually, in this moment. is She's really someone who I feel is, is really providing that example. You know, she has managed to cultivate a tremendous amount of power and and she really understands that that is rooted in her ability to empower others and to accept the ways in which she has been empowered by others. So she is really working within a story of power with, power with the people, power with her collective, as opposed to her wanting to rise into a place where she is 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 using power over. And I think it's a great example of of rewriting a story. Um, that you know, in 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 the way that we are really inviting people to in the book. No, it, it's true, and it it's you know I think so much also of when you do this journal or and you rewrite your stories. There's a confidence I think that one would gain because ultimately you're helping someone find, like you said earlier, Lily, their truth. Like, what is really my truth? What is my truth in relationship to all these different beautiful things that you brought up? Um, and when you can sit confidently in there, which, you know, takes for a lot of people a long time to get there. But when you can sit confidently in there, that idea of power goes away a little bit. The idea of power being necessary in order to feel a certain way. And so I feel like it really helps because as you were talking too, I'm like, I used to work in the entertainment business and it always blew my mind because I would watch how everyone would lead their departments. And there were so many, it was, I worked on the creative side, so in development. So, you know, creativity felt like itself, you had to hold on to the, you had to be the one with the great idea, otherwise you weren't worth anything. So you would watch kind of people leading departments where they almost never let their team get any of the credit. Because in their mind, they felt like then they weren't the one in charge or in power. And I was always the opposite. I would literally like take my lowest level person and be like, oh, pitch your idea you had. It was great. Blah, blah, blah. Because in my mind, I'm like, I am just as powerful as the strength of my entire department. Because that's my job is to like bring them up. My job is to make them the best version of themselves. But I was confident in that. I was like, if that doesn't, if I'm not helping them become the best versions of themselves and I'm not doing my job well, is how yeah. I kind of looked at it. But I always found it fascinating, this idea of trying to hold on so tightly and you could almost see this fragility in that because it came to me of such like a lack of confidence of just being okay with whomever it is you are. And I think that's what this yeah. journal is so great at. And I'd be curious, Lily, because you were saying earlier, you know, it was you're clearly in spiritual world. You said you were teaching meditation and yoga and then everything disappeared and you didn't even know what your truths were anymore. So what was it for you that disappeared? What was it for you that you were teaching? Because you were, you were alluding that you were kind of teaching things that you didn't necessarily believe in anymore. Um, what were those things? Yeah. Um, well, I taught Jiva Mukti Yoga um, for many, many years and um, I studied 
uh, a lot of practice in the bhakti yoga tradition or the devotional yoga tradition, um, as well as um, other Buddhist traditions. Um, and, you know, I was really, really a very serious student. <laughs> um, I think that goes to what Rebecca was, was you know, saying know. as well. Like, you know, I, I mean, I, I lived in Michigan for a while. I studied Sanskrit at the Hindu temple there. I had a harmonium. I chanted every day. You know, I practiced meditation like daily, two hours a day. Like I was deeply, deeply immersed in it. And, um, and I was a full-time teacher as well. I, you know, I taught many, many classes every week. And, um, after, well, both in the process of my mom, um, being ill and dying. And then after, um, I was caring for her, helping care for her along with my father both my parents were yogis and um, spiritual seekers and questioners and um, meditators. And um, I really, you know, I, I obviously very much took that to heart. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I went to Yale and, and while I was still there, you know, did my yoga teacher training and graduated and became a full-time yoga teacher. And my, uh, some of my, parents, friends were like, how did that happen? Your daughter just graduated from Yale and she is a yoga teacher. <laughs> and my parents were like, yes, isn't it great? We love it. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm very grateful for their support. Um, however, there was a way in which, you know, I was, what I found ultimately was that there was a deep part of me that was seeking approval, social approval and belonging. And so I had used this framework of, you know, spiritual inquiry, um, spiritual practice as a space where I could really uh, kind of bandage that wound of needing to belong and needing to experience the approval of others. And because I was already kind of groomed for it from a very young age by my parents, um, I had sort of this like, you know, leg up. leg up in that arena where, yeah, like I already knew, you know, all the the cool terms of spiritual materialism that we started to sell in, you know, in the, the, the 2010s. And well, I guess actually at that point I wasn't teaching anymore, but in the early 2000s. And, um, and so as my mom became very sick, and then when she died, I saw her starting to question a lot of what she believed. Um, and I, as I watched her come to the end of her life and really not be sure, even about something as practical as what she wanted to do with her body after she died, like they're in different traditions, um, you leave a body for different lengths of time. And so, you know, it was like, was she going to choose what was true for her uh, Jewish background? She was Jewish. I'm I'm Jewish, and um, or you know, was she going to choose what was true for the Tibetan Buddhist practice that she had been following? Or you know, there were many different ways in which 
she could choose to approach even, you know, this colossal end of life moment. And so I started to realize like there, there were many aspects of what I had taken as truth, um, particularly in the devotional practices of um, chanting and meditation that really, that, you know, they sounded nice, but they weren't deeply, deeply my own truth. They weren't the ideas that I had lived through, occupied, and come out the other side of putting them to the test. Can you talk and about could like say, one? I know that this is true. Sure. Um, let me think. Well, you have so many. What about the bones of the chicken soup or the... the yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thank I love you. that image. So, yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm not sure if you are familiar with Jiva Mukti Yoga, but one of the practices that is, um, that is, or, you know, deeply espoused as a part of the ideology, um, in accordance with, you know, one of the first principles of, of yoga practice, which is ahimsa or, you know, non-violence, non-harming, is um, practicing veganism and really doing so in in their terms as a form of spiritual activism that you, you know it's a it's an activism that allows you to um, live in greater accordance with your principles um, with the earth the animals and so for many years I was a very hardcore animal rights activist vegan. And, um, and then towards the end of my mother's life, she started working with an oncological nutritionist and they asked her if she would, um, start to incorporate some meat into her diet. My parents also were vegetarian for many years. So again, I was like primed for this. Right. And, um, and so they, they ate fish at this point, um, but suddenly my mom, you know, was considering this idea of, of reincorporating meat into her diet uh, in order to treat her cancer. And I was helping prepare food for her. And one day she asked if I would go to the store, pick up a chicken and make some chicken broth for her. And when she asked me, she had this look of such fear and shame in her eyes oh. that you know, she didn't want to disturb, you know, whatever it was that I was holding on to as this conception of self as this person that, you know, couldn't touch meat or whatever it was. And she was literally dying before my eyes. I mean, she was in so much pain. She was throwing up most of what she was eating because of the cancer. And, um, and I was horrified Because for me, I looked at her and I was like, you know what? Honestly, the truth is like, if somebody told me I needed to go out and kill a chicken right now and it would make you better, I would figure out a way to do that. 100%, no questions asked. And so I realized like, I know that that's an extreme example, but it made me feel like, wow, you know, it's one thing to, to say like, I'm, you know, hardcore vegan and I'm going to look down upon other people who make other choices 
for themselves and their lives. But do I really know always that that is the absolute best thing for every single person on earth? No, I don't know that. And to presume not only that I know that, but that, you know, it is, um, it's going to be the thing that most positively affects someone felt really audacious and not true to me. And, and I, um, I didn't feel comfortable any longer holding on to and sort of teaching these principles that I couldn't say were absolutely 100% the truth. Also, I was at a juncture where I was in a huge amount of pain physically Mm. myself. And um, I thought there was something wrong with my hamstring. I thought I'd like torn a hamstring and it turns out I had um, I have some hypermobility in my spine at a certain area in my spine, but there's a lot of um, often there's a lot of talk in the realm of you know making the spiritual teachings of yoga relevant to the physical world and the body of like physical pain and things and karma manifesting in the body. And that like, if you need to work through something, it's going to show up for you in your body. And if you don't work on, you know, work through it, it's going to keep showing up. And this real language around that is shame-based and that presumes that people who can contort themselves or be vegan or whatever it may be, Um, are spiritually more evolved than other people. And I essentially, you can hear in like all these examples, the the physical and the spiritual pain led to my taking, you know, time off of of teaching and practicing yoga, Um, but ultimately to my stepping away from it because I felt like my bullshitometer just went through the roof. (laughs) Like it was suddenly like, I was just like, I can't, deal with what any of uh, any of this stuff is that is being said because it feels so untrue to me and i think that that you know i haven't been in in the yoga industry for over a decade now and my hope is that it has changed somewhat but i also think that we see in the in you know the way that QAnon has overlapped with the wellness world and the yoga world that there are a lot of ways in which like it hasn't it that lack of accountability and truth telling hasn't really been addressed no and it it literally again it goes back to what i think is so amazing about the journal is there is such a lack even in the wellness community which you think would be the opposite of a strong self strong center where people think for themselves and are allowed to think for themselves. And it, it just becomes replacing whatever ideology is with, with the idea of doing the work to actually get to know yourself. And, and look, and I get it. I mean, when I opened the den and I've said it all the time on this podcast, that was my big thing. I'm like, this is only about getting to know yourself better, whatever that means for you. You know, someone, I remember when we first opened, I used to have bottles of wine along with the tea and coffee we would give away. That didn't last very long. And someone gave me such a hard time for it. They're like, this is meditation. How can you possibly have wine here? And I was like, well, there's tea. Go ahead, have tea. You don't have to have the wine. Some people love it. 
And, and I was just like, it's, everyone's different. Someone might go through a phase where they want to be a vegan. And that's amazing if that's what they're called to do. But if they're not called to do it, that doesn't mean meditation is not right for them either. There's not one way of being, and you're always evolving and changing and you'll miss that. And I think you guys talk about that a lot in this book is the fact that you're constantly rewriting is this idea of knowing that nothing is static and your stories aren't static. Your memories aren't even static. And where you're going is clearly not static. And so the idea of thinking everything has to be exactly that first story you ever told yourself or that first story you ever heard is hindering the whole lifetime of experiences you can possibly have. Um, and I think what you're saying about why you let go of your past is uh, what you were doing is so interesting because I think it just dovetails so perfectly. And one of the questions I did want to ask was, I think, but I would love to know your take on what you feel like a book like this can do for what is going on right now with all the conspiracy theories, with all the, just everyone feels so impassioned about their beliefs right now. You know, everyone's truths are so strong about what's the lies, who's lying to who, you know, it's really tearing our country apart as we know. But what is so fascinating about it is whomever you speak to on whatever side of the equation, it's all the same thing. Everyone's saying the same thing just towards the other person. You know, like we've been lied to, you know, and I, and what I like to say is everyone assumes kind of what you were, you know, inferring is their truth makes them smarter. So therefore the other people are less than, whether they realize they're doing it or not. It's just, there's this inherent idea of like, I think this, how can people be so dumb to think that? What is going on? And both sides are saying that. So I feel like a book like this, and I would love to hear your take, a journal, the idea of kind of this what is truth that is going on in our society right now as a collective. Talk about how kind of finding the truth within yourself can balance that. Uh, I'll, I'll say a few things. I think it's so nice to listen to Lily again, as usual, um, <laughs> to just reflect on, you know, because, you know, I, when we met, I had been a student of Buddhism for two decades and um yep I started that young my god but anyway um and so I you know I was in a, a really important relationship um with my teacher and I um I remember well the first thing I remember is how I had to really let go of, of a lot of my old behaviors in order to enter the kind of stream of consciousness that I was, that I was looking for a kind of clarity. So I had to stop doing many different things, including, I remember the, the one that makes me laugh now is I had to stop looking at fashion magazines. I was obsessed <laughs> with fashion magazines and they, and they, they created behavior in me and patterns that were so unhelpful. Like I would just covet and crave, you know, these, these beautiful, expensive clothes. And, and while that in itself wasn't a problem, not getting them caused great suffering. And, <laughs> and, and it was a real thing. And anyway, and I remember, you know, my teacher then saying like, you, you have to just stop all of that. You know, you, you just have to cut that because you, it's, it takes too much energy for you to navigate everything that it creates, you know? And I remember, you know, when I was, you know, and then I became a teacher within that relationship. And so then when, when I, I remember very clearly, you know, the moment Lily and I were sitting on a bench somewhere, I think in Makawao, 
and we were talking and I remember saying to her, you have to stop doing yoga. Like you have to, you have to just cut it because the way, and she was already thinking about how to transition, but it was so clear to me that so many of the, the sort of troubling patterns were coming out of or being supported by this thing that she was so deeply involved with. And, and the only way out was just to stop. And so, and I had had that experience many times. And so I think when we think about right now in this moment, I think it's a really interesting question that we should all consider. Um, and I, I think, you know, I was reading, I, I have nextdoor.com. I don't know if anyone else uses it, but it's a, you know, community app and everyone talks about stuff that's happening in the community and people fight and people share persimmons and people, you know, find people to help them take care of their children and they give each other vaccination information. Anyway, and and there was a big fight on on uh, yesterday because a Biden-Harris supporter had put her sign up um, for the inauguration and then someone had taken it down and she was writing about how sad that was. And then someone said, well, my Trump signs have been taken down from the very beginning. And then someone said, well, how could you possibly have a Trump sign, you oh, idiot? <laughs> you know, and then it like just went just on evolved. and on. It just went, you know, into the same spiral. And then some lovely person. And then I, I found myself clicking like, like to all of the ones that I liked, you know, and, and getting completely wrapped up in this in this narrative. And then some brave soul just said, you guys, we have to stop this. We have to just stop it because it's not going anywhere. You know, this, this mode, this method, this, this sort of, um, sort of vindictive blaming, you know, accusing, you know, self-righteousness on both sides is not helping. And I, I then, it was, it was very helpful because then I went back and I un, unliked all of my things. And I thought, you know, there, there does need to be a kind of radical, resetting. Um, and that doesn't mean forgetting, you know, I mean, I think we were all, many of us were struck by Biden's uh, speech and this idea of unity and, and sort of going back to, well, we need atonement, you know, before we can get to anything close to justice, which is what we need before we can get anything close to unity. So, you know, you know, when I, when I say, I think we need a, a deep reset, um, and I think the book can help with that. I'm saying that I think we need to look at the patterns that we are engaging in, um, in the way we see ourselves in relationship to each other and the way we see others and the way we, all of that and try to find um, something that many of us have never had, you know, um, an, a different way of engaging with one another. And I'm not sure what the, the tenor of that's going to be. I'm not sure what the shape is going to be, but I do, I did feel at that moment when this guy said, we need to stop this idea of, you know, let's clear for a minute. Let's hit the clear button and find a way to speak to one another that is not so um, antagonistic and full of this rage, which is understandable, but that is within a narrative of 
a deeper level of asking for respect, discussing the need for civility, for compassion, for empathy, for atonement, for justice. Again, now obviously many of us are exhausted because we've been doing that forever and it hasn't really worked, but I mean, or it has in some ways, but I think the point is, I hope that the book can support people as they try to find a new way of speaking, a new voice for themselves that is more um, compassionate toward themselves and others. And when I say compassionate toward themselves, I'm not meaning, um, and others, I'm not meaning, you know, sort of instant forgiveness. I'm meaning, um, you know, thoughtful about our injuries and also our potential for healing not just about um, our anger, but our potential for articulating our vision in ways that are persuasive and moving and and transformative. Now, I have no idea if that's going to be possible hmm. in this particular moment, honestly. But I do think that the book provides an opportunity for people to do some of that work. And I do think that work is deeply necessary right now. That's a long answer well, to that question. Lily, do you have thoughts on that? Well, I think that, um, you know, my intention with my writing and my work always is to tell stories that help people feel more deeply so that they cannot help but feel more connected to each other. Mm. And I think that what the space of the What's Your Story journal offers that Rebecca is talking about is a place to be really honest in a way that gets to the core of the space within each of us that holds those vulnerabilities, those injuries, as Rebecca said, um, those places of pain and, um, you know, miss the ways that we've misunderstood ourselves, the people around us, our families, our communities, the ways that we've failed our, you know, ourselves, the people that we love in our communities. Um, and really in doing that to start to articulate a new way of being that that doesn't originate from a place of, of pain and of suffering, mm-hmm. um, you know, that is informed by what we have learned going through that fire. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, like we are all so deeply touched as humans by each other's pain um and you know it's the many delusions of separateness that we carry that lead to you know this thought that we need to oppress and control you know others in various ways um but i think that the simple act that is you know, it's simple, but it's not easy 
of really getting to the truth of how we hurt, how we feel separate, how we feel that we have, you know, not been true to our own humanity. Um, my hope is always that it shifts something in the direction of greater connectedness. Me too. And I, me too. And, and I would even add even more to that, which is, I think one of the things that we want to do with the book is provide a space for people to be um, reflective in a very literal way, you know, um, to, to sort of, we want it to be analog. We want people to write in the book to kind of take themselves away from the very um, high stimulus, um, high, highly distracting, highly um, polarizing um, situation that that's that's our our sort of technocracy that we're living in, hmm. and really go back into something separate from that, something that has been keeping human beings, you know, alive for millions of years, you know, um, or at least we can say hundreds of thousands, but, you know, long, long time, um, or tens of, I mean, we can go back to the average, anyway, long story, but you know what I mean? Long time. Um, and that, that sort of come bringing one's mind together in a, in a space of, of privacy and intimacy with a with a book and and a pen and you know I always have these images of people curled up in corners under glowing yellow lights or in their bed or <laughs> you know under a tree or you know in the path yeah some somewhere sovereign you know yeah. there's something about our our digital world that is not sovereign. There's always something breaking into our our stream of consciousness that that takes us away from. I was going to ask from, you from wholeness. Do you feel like it's harder for people in general as a whole to have self inquiry now because of just social media and, like you said, like technology? Do you feel like in general as a whole we're lacking that ability? Definitely. I think that's happening, you know, at warp speed, (laughs) Um, you know, and it's, and it's very, it's very disturbing and and frightening to me. You know, I think I'm the oldest person on this, in this conversation. And um, I, I really see a change in, um, in, in, in human beings. I mean, I have a 16 year old, I have a ten-year-old stepdaughter. Um, I I'm very connected to my mother and my father. I mean, I, I can see the kind of degradation or the the slow, um, insidious um, impact of of technology in in the ways in which sort of people have less ability to to have deeper, longer thoughts. Even mm-hmm. you know to to reflect upon you know, history, like my, my son will say, you know, that happened last century. I'm not interested. I mean, last century, literally meaning 21 years ago, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, you know, Tenzin, that's really a problem, you know? Um, but I see a lot of that, this, this idea of being in this, this ever present world of, of the internet and of, you know, Wikipedia and of being able to, you don't have to remember anything anymore because you can just look it up. You know, he literally said that to me one day. He said, why do I, 
why do I need to remember that? I, I can just look it up. And there's something that's very true about that. Mm-hmm. But I had just talked to him about how that can rob you of, of your ability to actually process and synthesize history and ideas and in a way that will help you to give birth to new ideas, you know? Well, I was, was going to say, can you open, or can you guys talk about that a little bit? The idea that in understanding yourself, in going into these stories of who you are, kind of detaching these truths a little bit, gives you the ability to kind of co-create a future. Mm-hmm. It's not this ability of just being pulled along, like you're not just have to be pulled along what you think you're stuck in. You have this ability to create but part of that is by like what you guys say, rewriting your stories. So talk mm-hmm. about that like connection a little bit. Well, it's interesting. I um I will use go back to the example of that we were talking about before in my own life of um, you know, occupying this identity, teaching yoga, um, because I remembered something else. <laughs> That, that is actually important to the story when Rebecca was saying that about the bench, which is that I part of the reason I was so drawn to the Art of Memoir course was that I had finally decided um, after it had, hadn't yet been a year after my mom passed away. And like starting six months after, every time that I went to go teach a class, I would hear this voice in my head say, stop teaching. Like literally the second I would sit down and be like, okay, now we're going to start. It would be like, stop teaching. You're like right now in the middle of class or in general? (laughs) I'm kidding. Like, right. Yeah. It was like, I was like, okay, this is so incredibly inconvenient. And, um, and, but it was finally like, I, you know, and then I, I started sharing it just with some dear friends and they said, well, you know, why don't, why don't you stop? And I said, well, I, you know, I, I need to make money. I need, you know, I need to pay rent. I need, this is how I live. And I'm not sure what else to do. And, um, and, and I decided they offered me their guest house for three months and I decided to take those three months off. So they said, well, you know, if you're worried about rent, just live in our, you know, guest house for three months. And, and the day that I, like the first day that I wasn't working, that I wasn't teaching anymore was the day that the art of memoir course started. Oh, I just Mm -hmm. got the chills. And it's such an important part of the story. And I can't believe that I I forget to to add that in. And so it's the perfect illustration also of what you're asking about, which was I had to make some space you know, from the old story that I had been telling, which was like, I can't do anything else. This is the life that I've chosen. You know, this is how I make money. I need money to pay rent. And, you know, and then I was with my friends and they were like, well, you need a place to live. Okay. We'll give you a place to live. And I was like, are you serious? Cause I'm actually going to take you up on this. And they said, yes. You know? And then, so it was like, then, then there was that opening. And then you know, and then I found this writing course that started the day after, and the entire practice was a practice of saying, you know, in 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 the class was a practice of writing. What is the old story that you have been telling? Hmm. You know, and how are you going to make it true for who you are now? And so suddenly I was, you know, in this place where I could get the spaciousness that I needed to step back and 
say like, oh my God, I've decided X, Y, and Z about myself. It no longer worked, but I was so uncomfortable with the idea of detaching myself from the habituated idea and story of who I was that I couldn't even imagine another another future Hmm. until it became so dysfunctional and so painful that I absolutely had to, you know, and, and following finally that, you know, that voice that was telling me allowed me to have the space to, to sit down in a, in a classroom, you know, in, in the, the art of memoir workshop, and to really hear and to learn from what was being shared, what Rebecca was teaching, what she was guiding all of us towards in that space, which was a real um, reckoning with our own truths. Do you think someone can have freedom without awareness? Hmm, that's a very interesting question. Why do you ask that question? What is that? What is that about for you? Well, it's just that idea, so much of what these exercises, these prompts, the journal, what you're talking about, Lily, creates an awareness within yourself, which then allows, I feel like what you're saying, to create a space in some ways, whether it's physical space or emotional space. Do you think one can have kind of, and by the way, answer it however you want, like however you took it, answer it, because I'm sure it'll be really interesting, but... I always wonder, like, is awareness that key? Is that the factor? Like, you have to gain awareness, which is, I think, what this journal provides for you if you do it. Um, Do you have to gain awareness in order to be able to find truth within yourself? Yeah, I think I think that's that's. Go ahead. What do you think? No, no, I just want to just finish. Like the for me, yes, because I I had the the seed of it in me, but I had to fully understand the scope of it and be like really presented with it and do the work of being guided to understand the full entirety of how that seed was really affecting me in my life and doing the kind of work, you know, with Rebecca that then resulted in allowing me to finally really step away was a different thing than just having like it was like the awareness there was some awareness there but it wasn't yet freedom from the constructs that had been limiting me interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think it's interesting i think it has to do with semantics it's just word choice and mm-hmm. um you know awareness to freedom i think you know freedom Freedom is an interesting idea, an interesting concept, an interesting way to be. I think, you know, freedom can happen, you know, mental freedom can happen instantly. You know, you can be enlightened, for instance, like right now, you know. <laughs> and and so, you know, it, it, I, I'm not sure how, so the, so the awareness of that perhaps can, 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 can trigger that and and obviously awareness is important to work through your story. And, and I, I do, yes, I think would be the most, you know, obvious answer. Um, but I think that one of the things that is so important about the book that Lily is, is bringing up and reminding me, uh, you know, in, in, in all of 
our teachings and, and studenting um, has to do with believing that ultimately your mind is your best teacher. Mm. And when Lily's mind was saying, stop teaching, that was her mind, you know, telling her what was the right thing for her. You know, that was, you know, your mind is your ultimate teacher and your mind, um, you know, you have to be careful which things you listen to, like which teachings, <laughs> because, you know, you're not, you can never be quite sure um, that it's your best mind, that it's your highest mind, that it's your, the mind that is the one to follow. But, but I think one of the things that we're making space for in the book is for people to actually have the experience of their mind generating an idea for them that is that is the right idea They're, that that they that they start to have consciousness or confidence in that little voice that tells them the truth that little voice that knows what is what is healthier what will feel better what will feel more um, relaxed what will feel more true and and to have confidence in that so that you're not always looking out for the answer. You're not always seeking someone or something or some place to tell you what's right, but to believe in the in the power of your own mind, you know, and to understand that the mind can then heal itself like a, a cut, you know. You have a cut, you don't worry so much, you take care of it, you keep it clean, you give it, you know, a little healthy ointment and get better. You know, the mind doesn't want to be injured. The mind knows too how to heal itself. If you give it the space and the respect and um, the right um, nourishment, which often is just engaging in the loop of believing in it, <laughs> you know, it will it will strengthen and, and, and give you even better information as you keep working with it. Yeah, it's almost like you have an awareness, and like you were saying, that's just the seed. But you also need this courage and trust that you're talking about to go down that path that it's inviting you to go down. Because it's easy to like, kind of like you said, listen to the other stuff in the mind and like switch directions and just constantly work on that loop or path. But to kind of trust the awareness, and no matter how just like how uncomfortable it may be um, or scary trust that it's leading you to a much better place. Yeah, and to learn how to distinguish between the the mind, the voice in the mind that is coming from outside and the voice in the mind that's coming from inside. Huge. You know, huge because you can get caught up in the hamster wheel of the external voices that are that are speaking and really believe that they're your voice, you know. And I think that's a part of 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 the the the, the sort of social media technocratic world that we're in that really troubles me that you know the, the the medium of it is so intrusive that and you don't even realize it that you you it's even harder to separate the ideas um, that are coming in through that channel those many channels from the ones that are internal and organic. You know, I mean, going back to the medium is the message. It's 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 an important thing to look at the way it's working with our synapses, our endorphins, um, and thus separating us possibly from um, 
the analog mind, the, the, the wisdom mind, the mind that is, is trying to heal itself. Talk about in a simple way for people listening how just the act of writing and these prompts is what helps you differentiate those voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's um, it's very evident. It's very built in. You know, we're, we're asking questions that, that demand a kind of reflection that you can't really get to while you're scrolling through Instagram. <laughs> like you just can't, you know, it's just not possible because you have to really stop and think and go and remember and feel and reflect and, um, and, and, and face, you know, you, you can't really look away. You can't really multitask this book, no. you know? And I think that forcing that, that, that not forcing, but that supporting and encouraging one to, to look away in order to look in is, is really what the book does best. We hope, you know, and I love how, you know, you really do through the prompts, you're really training someone how to look at the story from all angles so that you do automatically slowly pull yourself out of that linear one storyline and can see how many different stories can sprout from it. Um, just even I found so interesting when you're asking about the homes people live in and you ask people to basically go through each house and then say, like, what did it give you and what did it take away? And I was like, oh my God, I've never, maybe give me, I've thought of, but like take away, like I'd actually never thought about it that way. And it it was interesting and hard actually, very hard. And then I was like, really to sit with it, not, you know, especially homes. I don't think a lot of people create that relationship with the home all the time. I mean, I do the way I talk about any place I've lived, people think I'm nuts, but but it is, it's, you know, and I think that's what this journal does. And so well, it reminds you that you create and have stories with everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which it's like with your home, with your friends, with this thing that happened with the trauma, like basically everything, there's a story and it's how are you letting it define you? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And how do you, how do you want to work with it? You know, how do you yeah. let go of it? Right. Um, it's interesting. We got a little a review the other day that was that was very interesting for both of us. Where I think the person was saying they really love the book and they were so moved and da And then they they said something about how they really wanted it to to help them in in rewrite the story. They didn't get enough support in. I mean, I, I want to preface this by saying we have lots of wonderful reviews from people who have no issue oh, whatsoever. No, and, yeah. But I think this is a really interesting question. Um, you know, and it was a little bit, it was, it was hard for us because um, I think we took so, we, we put so much care and thought into creating these sort of narrative arcs for people so that through answering the questions, they come to their own mm-hmm. way of making meaning, you know, and so we do lead them, but, but we do then put it on them you know, as, as a, as a kind of respect to, to do that rewriting. But at the same time, when I read that, I I felt I had to acknowledge how hard it is to, to break old patterns, you know, and, 
And I think that's what this person was really referring to is like, how do I end these patterns, these habituations? And that is something that we can't, you know, we can't get in there every day and say, okay, don't do this. Don't, you know, and that's one of the reasons that we, we say in the beginning, you know, maybe you need to work with, you know, a therapist as you do this or best friend, a colleague, you know, your ancestors, um, but it's just, it was a moment. But I think you do. Like when we were talking about awareness, like when we had that discussion, I think mm-hmm. that's what it does though. It's through all of these prompts by forcing someone to not, you're not asking, the questions are not linear mm-hmm. in a great way. And I think mm-hmm. that's the whole trick of it. That's That creates the opening, that creates the rewriting. I feel like what this person probably doesn't realize and they will, but mm-hmm. they will at some point is they did rewrite it. They just mm. might not know exactly how to tell it yet, but it's mm. it's been rewritten by just the undoing of it. Like when you mm. kind of start undoing something that you think is linear and you start to realize that it's not, that in itself has, mm. you've already you've already created a new foundation. So, but I think you do, like what we were talking about awareness, like when we had that discussion, I think mm-hmm. that's what it does though. It's through all of these prompts by forcing someone to not, you're not asking, the questions are not linear. Mm-hmm. in a great way. And I think mm-hmm. that's the whole trick of it. That's That creates the opening, that creates the rewriting. I feel like what this person probably doesn't realize, and they will, but mm-hmm. they will at some point, is they did rewrite it. They mm-hmm. just might not know exactly how to tell it yet. But it's mm-hmm. it's been rewritten by just the undoing of it. Like when you mm-hmm. kind of start undoing something that you think is linear and you start to realize that it's not, that in itself has mm. you've already you've already created a new foundation so necessarily about understanding where those answers came from yeah. and so like when we google something you know are we really understanding that or i shouldn't even say google you know when we search on the internet for something are we aware that search engines are presenting us with responses with answers catered to us based on our behavior on the internet, um, you know, and based on algorithms that have been developed and heavily influenced by white supremacy and racism based on how they're, you know, coded. And in the same vein, I think it's very unusual and it's a bit alarming and sort of confronting for people to experience a book full of questions rather Mm -hmm. than a book full of answers. Mm -hmm. And I think that it can be frustrating because it can feel like, no, I, I, I already know my story. I'm, I live my story every day. Like, leave me alone. Don't ask me my story. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I think that a lot of us feel like that you know, we're, we're fed up, we're tired. We just want to know what it is that we have to do. Mm-hmm. And when you say, well, what you have to do is do the work of illuminating, you know, your truth and understanding and bringing awareness to the ways that you have been, all the ways that you've been living that actually don't work for you. And then figure out what it is that is going to work for you and your family and the people that you love and your community and the world. It's a lot. I get it. <laughs> it well, it's fun. It's what we were talking about with your story. And I was saying, you can see it in the wellness community. It's, you know, they because it's quote unquote spirituality, people think it's the right answer. But if you're still not willing to go in and figure out what works for you and doesn't work for you, none of that stuff's going to give you the answer. So it's just, you know, it might feel like 
a higher morality in your mind of what you're grasping for the answer, but it's still not your answer. Like, and yes, I think, you know, I was saying this the other day to someone, as we were talking about, especially when the election was coming and I'm like, the problem is everyone thinks they know everything now, but nobody knows anything because there's just too much noise. It's just so easy, like you were saying, to gather information, but you're gathering it at such a surface level. It's like, oh, who's that voice on Instagram? Oh, look, listen to all the things I just learned. And because you're constantly distracted, no one's taking the time to be like, that's an interesting thought. Let me see what else I can learn about this. What's another Mm -hmm. point of view? What would the opposing person say about that? So that you can then somewhere find where you probably fall within that idea, whatever idea it is. But there's so much noise, like you said, and everything's moving so fast that no one really takes the time, like you said, to find the answers for themselves. And so you're right. It's a lot of people being quickly let. It's almost like the cat with like the laser. It's like we're all like this, (laughs) like just chasing the little laser beam Um, and not Really? really. Yeah. And I think you're right. And I think this beautiful book really it's such a gift though. Like, I feel like everyone would understand that. What a gift to be given the keys to figuring out what the answers are for you. Mm-hmm. And you know, that just made me think I've been, I was so critical of my son in this conversation, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I realized, um, you know, I haven't allowed him to, to, uh, have social media. So he, he doesn't have it. And sometimes he gets very upset with me and all of his friends have it and blah, blah, blah. Um, but when we were talking about the um, occupation of the capital, the the you know the, the mobs, the all of that, the sixth of January, um, it struck me that that he said to me, I said, well, what do you think? And he said, I'd like to talk to one of those people. I'd like to understand how they think and what they think and what they feel, and just try to know what what's really going on you know and yeah it actually was and of course in the moment I was horrified I was like you know they would want to kill you you know I mean I I was I was so I can be very um you know I'm I'm I can be very tough and kids you know my son I want you know we, we all have our ideas about what we want our children to be and we have to really grow with them and, and learn who they are and it's a real challenge for me sometimes um but I do think that there's something about his nature, you know, his person, his, his, who he came into this world as, but also um, the absence of the constant insta scrolling, you know, the all of that 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 supports him in this this longing for for relationship and understanding through a kind of deeper experiential. Um, encounter, you know, no matter how um, charged or dangerous or impossible I might think it is. And, and I think that I hope that the book supports that kind of inquiry too, into oneself Mm -hmm. and then into another that, that you might feel, you know, completely separate from, but, but fundamentally you can then lead with curiosity as opposed to revulsion, you know. I was going to say, it's funny. Your son answered the question exactly how you probably raised him. It might not have been how you were feeling in that moment, but... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's he's... everything I want him to be, you know, yeah. but, 
But but as an African American woman with an African American son, there's also tremendous fear, you know, that I have sure. to I have to navigate, you know, the idea of him entering into that kind of environment and conversation. I think my first instinct was just self-protection or or maternal protection of him, you know, without remembering that that one of the things I want him to have is the kind of openness and and um empathy and 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 curiosity about the other quote unquote as opposed to a sort of major divisive um yeah. perspective so you're absolutely right you does know he identifies it's very complicated Jewish, does he no he Jewish does not no he doesn't identify as anything you know i raised him deeply buddhist um his father is a lama um and he is completely anti all of it right now i mean but he doesn't realize that he's that he's got so many um he's got so many jewish sort of culturalisms in him you know i feel very culturally jewish and he's got so many yeah he's got so many buddhist ideas embedded in who he is and his grandmother is this kind of like pagan universalist womanist you know person and and he and he has some of her ideas in him and and he doesn't feel the need to to kind of codify or or name them as such. And and so right now he's in this period of like, I'm not anything, you know, I think religion is crazy, you know. But it's 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 lovely to see them um uh in him in this free way, you know, sort of you know, like in Buddhism, you know, there were there was there were no Buddhists, you know, so we you know you learn Buddhism to let go of Buddhism. And and he seems to have gotten a lot of that. And it'll be interesting to see what he makes of it as he gets older, you know, if he if he traces it back to 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 any ideas or or the things that we've said or the kind of original vocations of, of some of these ways that he now carries. But I'll be okay if he doesn't, you know. He sounds um, so interesting. He's pretty interesting, I that know. kid. <laughs> I, mean, I love it. And I mean, I'm impressed he's still not on social media. That's that's hard oh, to do. So good for you. Yeah, it is hard. Let's do it's our four hard. yous because I've kept you guys on forever, but I could keep going, but I'm going to respect your time and I appreciate it. So four oh yous, four quick questions that I'll ask and, and for four quick answers. And you guys can both each do the answers. Whoever wants to go first. What gives you strength? Uh, I will say the first thing that came to mind, which is connection. Me too. I love that. What about you, Rebecca? Uh, uh, what gives me strength? Hmm. I would say kind of mental peace and, and equanimity, a release of of conceptual ideation, you know, the, the space of, I think some people call that a meditative space, but for me, it's more um, of just a constant return to, to a kind of clear mind that is, that is free of, of, of words and thoughts and, and ideas, you know, returning to the vastness of mind. That gives me a lot of strength. I love that. What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? I usually um, reach out and touch my wife in some way, just to, just to kind of connect 
you know, I'm very conscious of her being asleep usually, and I don't want to wake her up. But I, I noticed that I, I was just noticing this the other day that that I often, I mean, I wouldn't say every every day, but I often do that. Like I, I just reach out, and, and maybe some of it is to see if she's awake. And I, I always have something I want to talk about in the morning, <laughs> and I want to see if she's awake, and if I could be, if I can start talking to her without disturbing her, or if she's ready. Um, that's one of the things, the first things I do. Um, and, and I also, we have this, this window in front of our bed and I, I, I like to open the curtains and, and sort of look out into the green. I love um, it. So you're that partner. You like to talk to them while they're sleeping and open up all the shades. <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> and, you know, there's always the, the sort of other side of it, which is, you know, eventually I check my phone I, you know, I go wake up Tenzin. I, you know, there's all of that. Um, I notice my feet, my legs, if they hurt, if they don't, I check my mind for whether or not I've slept well, you know, all of those things, a lot of them happen all at once, you know. Amazing. Lily, what's your, what do you do when you first wake up? I would say that I, like when I, the first moment that I wake up, I'm either usually still kind of entrenched in some dream space and and therefore I'm like kind of processing wherever I've just come from. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or I or I wake and I'm not and I'm fully in my body and then I'm kind of doing like a body scan mm-hmm. of like what you know what is happening in my body. And if I can remember to, I'll take a breath and sort of try to cultivate some sense of what I want to experience in my day Mm. um, of like, you know, how do I want to start this day, this moment? Um, I often find that, you know, that, that I'm, that I wake up present with some kind of anxiety that is on my mind. And so then I think I'll try to consciously shift that before I get out of bed. Like just some little thing, you know, whatever it might be. Whatever goes on in (laughs) minds of ours. (laughs) (laughs) What is something you cannot live without? I love my tongue scraper so much. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That's so funny. That's a bad, that's a bad one because I certainly could. If we're speaking literally. No, I I think that's perfect. You answered it perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Is there anything I couldn't live without? Everything, nothing. I mean, you know, the earth, (laughs) you know, the sky, the air. What's something you find yourself like obsessed with or relying on a lot during this time? How about that? Well, right now I'm obsessed, just like Lily's obsessed with the tongue scraper and I should get one. I'm completely obsessed with this, with this stone. Did Lily, did you get the one I sent you yet? No, but I was going to ask you, did you, if you sent me a gua sha facial. (laughs) I did. Did you get it? No, I didn't get it. Oh my God. I totally sent it to you. Because I'm obsessed with it. And and Rachel was saying, Are you can you be addicted to that thing? Because I just sit there all day long with this amazing cold stone thing. Um, 
And I, I just, I love it. It, it, it <laughs> calms me and it, it just, I feel beautified and refreshed and it apparently, you know, who knows if it's marketing or if it's true, but it has all kinds of great energetic properties and I feel them. And, and I, I definitely could live without it, but I'm happy that I don't have to. <laughs> I love that. Perfect answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So last question for you guys, I'm turning your question on you. When faith is gone, you have faith in? Love. Beautiful. I think. <laughs> when faith is gone, I, I have faith in. I have faith in human beings. I have faith that that human beings, that many human beings, not all human beings, but I have faith in the human um, uh, uh, tendency toward doing the right thing and 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 show and and being better. You know, I, I do have faith in human beings, but not all human beings, but, 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 but many, you know, I, I do. That's and good. Love, I love that. I suppose. But love is very complicated. You know, love, love can be understood in so many different ways. Um, but anyway, that, that's my answer. Okay. When faith is gone, you have faith in. I also had a, a deep sort of instinctive initial response, which was myself. And then I also wanted to question that, but I'm going to stick to it. I do have faith in myself because I, I have been through many moments with myself when I have lost faith and I have always emerged on the other side of it, whole with myself, able to determine, you know, again, what, what was most important to me, what I could look to, to really regain steadiness and, um, and trust and, uh, and faith. Yeah. Yes. That reminds me of having faith in your mind. I have faith in my mind too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That anyway, makes- <laughs> you guys are great. I love talking to you. Like I said, I could have gone on longer and longer. You are so intelligent and thoughtful and, have such an amazing point of view on life. And I really do feel like this journal is so much more than just a regular journal. It's one of the things I like to up at top, you say, you know, you gave like so many different ways to do it, which I appreciated versus like, you have to sit down every day and do a prompt every morning, which I felt gave so much more freedom of just once again, finding the truth of how you can relate to this type of exercise within your life. Cause everyone I think does it differently. And so I think for those who love to journal, obviously they would love something like this. But for those who don't, I feel like it's a really soft way to go in and start the exploration. So Mm -hmm. I I, I thought you guys did an amazing job. And I do feel like, especially right now, it could shift things on a much bigger level if everyone did it. So thank you. And thank you for this awesome conversation. Well, thank you so much for for saying all of that and for wanting to, to have this conversation with us and for all the work that you're doing to, to, to support transformation yourself. It's really, I think, important for us to, to try to connect and, and know the work of, of each other so that we can, you know, be in conversation and support each other. So this has been great. I really have appreciated this conversation Me too. and, and your being. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's so mm-hmm. sweet. Mm-hmm. And nobody go away because they are going to do their personal practice. Mm-hmm. 
now Rebecca and Lily are going to do the personal practice, which is the intro from the book as well as a prompt. Do you ever wish you could talk to someone who asked the right questions about every part of your life and being every single time? Not the easy questions, but the hard ones that draw out your truth, the ones that push you beyond who you are right now and challenge your ideas about who you can be. These are the sacred questions, the ones that expose how you came to be who you are and reveal what you must do to become someone else, someone less fearful and more honest, less confused and more, well, free. Yeah, us too, which is why we spent a decade developing What's Your Story, a process that reveals the old repetitive stories that shape our lives and transforms the next leg of the journey. This self-inquiry method integrates insights from our combined 40 years of personal and political activism, memoir writing, and psycho-spiritual and psychosomatic practice in Buddhist, Hindu, and Western healing traditions. What's Your Story is for writers, creatives, scientists, psychologists, lawyers, activists, and anyone who longs to bring a new story to life. In other words, What's Your Story is for you. You, because you are ready to rewrite the stories of your life that resist all your attempts to change them. The stories that, despite your best efforts, keep you smaller than you want to be. That pattern you keep repeating with romantic partner after romantic partner, you want it to end. The lack of connection you feel in every one of your friendships, you can no longer bear it. The sinking sensation you get in your stomach every time you talk to your family, it's making you sick and you want no need to be well. Those 35 minutes you spend in bed each night comparing who you thought you'd be by now to who you actually are, quite frankly, you'd rather get some sleep and we'd rather see you well rested. We wrote this book because we've been where you are or somewhere a lot like it. And we've worked with hundreds of people who have been there too. Most of us think it's normal to go through life telling the same sad, tired stories about ourselves over and over again until we die. We don't. Ultimately, we believe we all deserve a better story, one that supports a free mind, light spirit, and courageous heart, a story defined by openness and possibility, strength and self-awareness, confidence and the fortitude to stand up for what's right not just for ourselves, but for the world. A story that assures us in our final hours that we have lived as the best version of ourselves, we can let go with no regrets. If you walk down the road of these pages with us, we're going to ask you some hard questions about you, about your life, your work, your body, your heart, your mind, about the meaning that you've made of it all. We're going to ask you to think, feel, reflect, and listen more profoundly than ever before to your answers. Why? So you can change them. This book is for you, and we are so glad you're here. Whether you choose to share your story with the world or hold this magic notebook as your personal record of self-mastery doesn't matter. It's your gift to yourself, and it's yours to keep however you want. We hope you answer every question more than once if necessary, and write until you're spent. We even added some blank pages at the back of the book in case you need them. No matter what, we want you to know you are not alone. We love you. And we will hold your best story for you even in the moments when you cannot hold it for yourself. We believe in your ability to see yourself to the other side. 
So we invite you right now to write the story of the next day of your life and the last day of your life, also known as the best story in the whole wide world. Why? Because it's yours. You wrote it. You lived it. You vanquished all comers. You, not your parents or your teachers or your friends or your colleagues or your government, showed up for the party. And guess what? You danced all night as yourself. We're going to share a prompt now from the very first chapter of What's Your Story? A Journal for Everyday Evolution. The chapter is called Waking Up. Um, And at the beginning of each chapter, we share a bit of reflection and then instruction on how you can approach the questions. Um, And so we invite you to read each question, turn it over in your mind until it evokes some kind of response. Take a breath and then start writing. Write as much as you want. Take more time, more breaths. Really give yourself the space that you need to allow the question to evoke whatever it is in you that has a response. Um, And the question that I will share with all of you is, We all live with a board of directors, parents, siblings, partners, teachers, spiritual leaders, friends, bosses, and others sit at a big table in our mind, telling us what to do. Write what each board member says to you. I'll read that again. We all live with a board of directors parents, siblings, partners, teachers, spiritual leaders, friends, bosses, and others sit at a big table in our mind telling us what to do. Write what each board member says to you. So take as much time as you like to respond to that. And then there's a follow-up question. Now ask them to be quiet, to listen to you, to cooperate. If they won't, ask them to leave. Fire them if you have to. In this new silence, without them present, ask again, what should you do with your life? Write down what you now hear. I'll read it again. Now ask them to be quiet, to listen to you, to cooperate. If the board of directors refuses Ask them all to leave. Fire them if you have to. In this new silence, ask again, what should you do with your life? Write down what you hear. Okay, we hope that this practice serves you and um, is just the beginning of a deeper inquiry into yourself and your future. And we hope that we meet you on the pages of, of our new book, What's Your Story? A Journal for Everyday Evolution. It's been great spending time with you. Ten Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. 
Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.